welcome to Tipping the Balance. I'm Katie Hickey, your host, and today we hear from Dr. Stephen Lorries. Stephen is an award-winning neurologist and neuroscientist recognized worldwide as a leading clinician and researcher in the field of the neurology of consciousness. He has published over 500 scientific articles on the workings of the human mind. His new book, The No-Nonsense Meditation Book, is released in the UK on the 15th of April. The book has been translated into nine different languages, and this is the first publication in English. The book includes fascinating research on expert meditators such as Mathieu Ricard, Buddhist monk and translator for the Dalai Lama and as Laurie's described him, a rock star of Buddhism. The book scientifically proves the positive impact of meditation and is a good mix of personal experience, testimonials and simple exercises to try. I love how Laurie's makes meditation feel accessible to everyone. It costs nothing and you can do it anytime, anywhere. Laurie's admits himself that he used to be a skeptic, but after a personal crisis in 2012, he started to discover the benefits of meditation and now he prescribes it to his patients in his clinic. I felt so excited after reading this book and I felt as though there was a very real possibility of living a less burdened life with more joy and less suffering all available to me through my own brain and for free. I can't wait to continue on my meditation journey and to feel the benefits. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and share with a friend who you think will enjoy listening. Okay, so let's do your podcast. Okay, let's do it. Welcome, Stephen, Dr. Stephen Lorries. Welcome to Tipping the Balance. I am hello. hello. I'm very, very grateful to have you here and very excited to be holding a copy of your book in my hand, which you've not seen until now. <laughs> exactly. It, it's uh, wonderful to see it. It, it exists. It's yeah. materialized. Yeah, I feel suddenly, um, you know, very important to be showing you your own book. <laughs> you are, definitely. <laughs> so thank you so much. So I usually interview guests that share their life experiences. They may have gone through periods of adversity in their life and they, and they just talk openly about their experiences and how that's kind of shaped their approach to mental health. And interestingly, as I was reading your book, I, I sort of got the realization that I got the idea for this podcast when I was out walking. I was not feeling in a particularly happy place, but I'd gone out for a walk. I left my phone behind. I didn't have any music or anything. And I realized now that that walk was a meditation of sorts. You know, I was just in nature. We'd moved from the city of London out to the countryside. We live near the sea. And so I had this kind of immersion in nature. And the idea for the podcast, Tipping the Balance, came up because I was interested in the concept of balance and what people do in their lives to try and tip the balance in their favor um, in, you know, looking for more positive mental health and meditation and mindfulness is, it seems anyway, after reading your book, some kind of key to at least helping 
certainly to tip the balance in your favor um, in terms of yeah, positive, a positive uh, approach to, to mental health and how you react to, to situations. So before we kind of delve into the book and all of the different subjects that you cover, could you just introduce yourself to my listeners and give a little bit of background as to who you are and how you discovered meditation? Yes, uh, pleasure, Katie, and everyone listening to the Tipping the Balance, which is indeed uh, a challenge. <laughs> uh, I'm a medical doctor, a neurologist, um, and also a neuroscientist, and a husband, father of five, and control freak. And I wrote this book, the No Nonsense Meditation book. I, I never thought I, I would because it's out of my comfort zone. Uh, during my studies, I, I, I didn't know anything about meditation. And so it was through a personal crisis in, in uh, 2012 that, uh, yeah, I, I felt um, anxious and, and was smoking a lot and drinking and taking sleeping pills and antidepressants. And so it was obvious that that this for my three young kids at the time wasn't very you know wasn't a source of inspiration by by um dealing with the challenges of life in in that way and then i started doing yoga but it was um mostly uh, a meeting in paris with mathieu ricard uh, at a tedx mathieu ricard is a buddhist monk and translator of the Dalai lama who um introduced me to, to meditation. And then as a scientist, I studied his brain. And here we are today. Uh, so I come from, you know, it was a long journey from a skeptic now to a neurologist who's basically prescribing meditation uh, in my consultation clinic. Mm -hmm. And I'm based here in Belgium, in, in uh, Liège. Uh, the book first came out in uh, Flemish, and is now translated into nine languages. So obviously there's a need for some calm in, in our heads, in our mind. And, and I'm very excited, uh, as, as you just mentioned, to see it's, it's very, very new coming out uh, next week, this uh, English version. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I, I really loved the book and I loved how there was a really good mixture of hearing about your personal experience and also the science and the research, but interwoven into that you have testimonials from people about how mindfulness and meditation has transformed their lives. And you have some simple exercises that I think are really easily accessible for anybody who's never tried mindfulness or meditation, or even if you have, you know, tried a little bit, these exercises are really accessible. Um, and I got the impression, you know, this is maybe the aim of your book to try and debunk some of the myths about meditation and to, to make it more accessible for, for everyone. Um, is that would you say that's one of your aims? Absolutely. I, I mean, when when the, the publisher came and, and asked me, because 
when we did the research on Mathieu Ricard, he's, he's quite famous. He's like a rock star of, of Buddhism. Uh, he became a friend and then we, we published the, the results together. And, and so they asked me, well, now make a book out of it. And I said, well, why should I? I'm, I'm not a Zen master. I'm, I'm really, um, but then maybe that, that could be inspiring to some. I'm, I'm a brain scientist. I'm, you know, logical thinker and, Yes, if I can do it, basically anyone can do it. And so I went to a number of retreats. Um, I, I'm still an, an, an amateur, don't consider, but uh, some of the books I read, I, I uh, found them quite uh, demanding. So, so uh, also Mathieu, my good friend, uh, the Buddhist monk, when he says, well, Stephen, you just need to take 20 minutes every morning, every evening. But, you know, with five kids, it's, it's chaos. And I don't want to put my, my alarm sooner. And, you know, sleep is important. And then I do my joggings. And so you do what you can is also one of the big messages. And um, once you got a couple of these um, exercises because basically meditation is just gymnastics for your mind. You can do it anywhere. And, and just before we started, I just took a couple of breaths and, and I will do later when I see patients, uh, you can do it in your car while commuting when you're waiting somewhere in, 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 in a store. So, so to me, this informal meditation was kind of a discovery um, and something I wanted to share. Uh, and also because the science shows that this actually helps. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that comes through really strongly throughout the, the book um, and something I'll definitely go into in a bit more detail later. So for anyone who may have been living under a rock <laughs> for the past uh, five or 10 years, um, if they've never heard of mindfulness or, or meditation, how would you summarize it? So mindfulness now is, is the, the exercise, the, the form of meditation that is the most scientifically studied. It's basically being in the moment. And I don't know about you, Katie, but very often I would be anticipating and, and our brains are prediction machines, which is very good. And so, you know, we make plans and, but sometimes it's just too much and it's, mm -hmm. it's turning around and around and it can make us anxious and, and uh, we can't fall asleep. And uh, so there's this tendency to be too much in the future. Um, definitely it, it's, it's the case for me mm -hmm. or too much in the past, you know, when, when I went through my um, separation in 2012, I was thinking, how could this happen? And uh, anyway, you can't change the past, so you, you better learn from it. But at one point, you also need to let go. And there's only one reality, and this is here and now. And, and this, for me, was something that I really needed to train. And that's what mindfulness is all about. But that's one kind of, of, of meditation. And also, I didn't want to limit it to one school. I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not. There's many, many ways. And this is a kind of individual journey where you need to find, depending on your needs, what's um, helpful, what's doing you um, good, which is, of course, a bit more complicated than what many of my patients ask. Uh, give me a quick fix. And, and that's, you know, give me some prescription, some intervention. 
here you know it's it's an exercise and and um it's also through the book the no nonsense meditation book with some very very simple exercises that anyone can do anywhere um and then for you as a reader to you know um find out this is something i want more like in the sushi bar i taste it like it take more if not just let it go go by so yes for me meditation is gymnastics of the mind attention of course is very important um, and then you can cultivate uh, different aspects it can be about your your focus it can be also about empathy compassion mm -hmm. uh, which is the favorite exercise of Mathieu Ricard mm -hmm. so uh, it, it's not just something to uh, to calm you down no. it can help for stress but it's it's much more yeah and that's something I think that did come through strongly in the book is that yeah there isn't just a one size fits all and you'll probably be able to find some element of meditation that suits you and it can have far-reaching benefits um and actually just reading the book I I was imagining and already feeling uh, quite excited about the possibility of living my life feeling less burdened by stress or worry. Um, you know, as you say, I think we do all have a tendency to let those things build up and it's been a stressful year, uh, hasn't mm -hmm. it, for, for everyone. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like this book, even just by reading it, the No Nonsense Meditation book, I just felt that yeah excited about the the possibility of living this life that just feeling more free thank you for giving it's, me that benefit <laughs> well so it was worth writing and and it's absolutely true that with covid it's it's a challenge right because mm. we we uh what's happening now is is extraordinary and it can make us anxious and sleepless and i also see it with my children um it's 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 a challenge um the elderly the, and it's not just um taking a pill to to you know calm you down which which is what we see and also in my consultation in the hospital um i see m a lot of people now taking tranquilizers and it's good that they exist but it's not the only thing we can do so mm -hmm. uh Absolutely. It's, it's an invitation. And, and you might say, well, you know, another book on mindfulness, or we hear about it um, a lot, which, which is true in, mm. in, in a lot of journals. And, and yet, um, structurally speaking, that there's um, so little happening in, in my own field as a, as a caregiver. I'm at risk of burnout. And, mm. and a lot of studies show, and now with COVID, it's, it's even worse Two of my colleagues committed suicide. It's horrible. We, we know it, it, it exists, and yet we don't do much about it, right? Mm -hmm. I, I never um, was told any, anything about taking care of myself, and, mm -hmm. and meditation was something I discovered, and that's a pity. And I think it's, it's true for everyone. Maybe we should talk about it at, at schools. Mm -hmm. We have teachers uh, you know taking care of our physical well-being and and you know it's part of the uh, curriculum and mm. school we have gymnastics why not uh, pay more attention to our emotional well-being which yeah. is so important and and i still think 
quite neglected. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I'm, I'm really sorry um, to hear about your colleagues um, that, that took their lives. That's, that's horrible. Um, and yeah, I really, I really hope that, you know, this can be a time now where we start to realize more about the connection between the mind and the body. And it's something I think I only learned about that connection when I was pregnant with my eldest daughter and I took a, a hypnobirthing class and a lot of people say, oh, what's this? And oh, that's rubbish. You know, birth is going to be excruciating and hypnobirthing is all this a fad and don't don't pay attention to it. But it was the first time in my life, I think, that I had ever been told by somebody that your mind connects and controls even your your body and how you feel and how you react to things and that I kept reflecting on that when I was reading the book because you know you've shown in some of your studies actually that with people who are very well practiced with meditation when it comes to feeling pain for example they yes their body feels pain but the way they perceive it is different and so I thought anyone who says to me that you know hypnobirthing was a was a waste of time you know I would give them your book and say well no look look at this look at the studies that actually show that you can train your mind and help to change the way that you perceive things what you just said reminded me of a, a few questions that I had for you and you have a quote in the book as medics you feel as though you're at the mercy of the pimps of industry and there's this perception by a lot of people that that the field that you work in and the research that you do into meditation is this kind of soft science and um, a lot of people might think it's a fad and it doesn't get the same attention as as other types of research and I was already thinking mm, that's because it's not making many people much money <laughs> but uh, but when I read your your quote in the book I thought ah exactly you I assume, you know, you have share some similar thoughts. Um, sometimes I can feel a bit despairing about that because I wonder, you know, in the future, how do we really kind of break through that? And it's, you know, it's, the, it's for the greater good of humanity, but it's not making people very rich. So it's, it's slowly, slowly building. I but mean, it is building. Yeah. <laughs> how do you it, feel it about is. that? No, I, I very optimistic. I think it's, it's just a matter of time uh, and you're absolutely right. There's a number of challenges, but I, I'm convinced that it might take one, two generations, whatever, but we'll be looking back and saying, how is it possible? It took us so long, you know, to, to take our mental well-being seriously. And it's, I think, I hope with COVID and, and the post post-COVID um, society, uh, it's really an invitation now to, to uh, think about what is important, also what makes us as human beings different from computers. We would often compare the brain with a, a computer, a supercomputer, and, and we, we hear about artificial intelligence and all these robots, virtual uh, reality. It's, it's terribly important, but we are not... Uh, a, a robot and, and so maybe we should really invest in what makes us different from these computers our humanity creativity uh, emotions sometimes intuitions uh, the, the 
irrationality. And, and so that's something I think, again, at schools where it's still about knowledge, uh, it, it, it should get more attention, but, but it's clearly happening. And, and mm-hmm. um, I was at the University of Strasbourg in, in, Fr- in France, uh, where also there was the Dalai Lama, it was a wonderful day. Uh, they're offering now meditation, mindfulness within the university. So you see all these things uh, happening and and I'm convinced that there is no other way for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we, we're now speaking through, what is it, Zoom? And <laughs> it's great that these technologies exist, but it's, it's not a real, you know, meeting. We all uh, now understand how important it is to, to mm-hmm. just as social animals um see each other and, mm. and, and give a hug and mm. and so uh, I'm I'm definitely very optimistic uh mm-hmm. that that we are getting there. Good. Well I'm very glad to hear that you have that that optimism. That's that's good. Um what do you think about the impact of technology? Because I know we touched on robots there. And, and one question that's been going around in my mind is this this, op- this access to, to technology and smartphones. And yeah, and that also you know, impacts our children because they're playing lots of time on computer games. They have mini computers in their pockets. They're texting all the time. It's kind of a bombardment of technology. Um, so, I mean, do you think that this increase in technology means an increase in unhappiness or kind of overstimulation of our mind? I think the challenge to use these new technologies wisely. And, and so, uh, yes, they can be harmful. And I do believe we spend a lot of time in front of screens um, and we, we should, we should um, be careful, of course, that, that it's not only screen time and, and virtual meetings and, and, and realities. Uh, but it also, again, offers opportunities. And, and I think let's focus on that. It, it brings us together right now. You're in the UK yeah. uh, and, and we can still talk and, and, and see each other. And that's, that's wonderful. Uh, and it's with, with many discoveries and new technologies, you know, they can be the key to, to heaven and to hell. It's, it's the same as a physician. I'm using radioactivity to treat uh, diseases, to make brain scans, but you can also make atomic bombs. So that's to us as a society. Um, and yeah, let's, let's learn ourselves and our kids how to make good use of, of, of these things. Mm. Uh, but definitely we, we need more than that. We're human uh, beings, social animals. So we need, you started mentioning your walk. And, mm-hmm. and now again with COVID, we're so happy that we can go for a walk in the park. Mm-hmm. In, in, you know, nature is so important. It invites mm. for some contemplation, for some meditation. So we should take care Mm-hmm. Of, of, of our planet, of the other living species. And again, meditation and compassion, loving kindness, for example, are just exercises that, mm-hmm. that emphasize that, that, you mm-hmm. know, we're all connected. And it's, it's a bit, um, 
yeah, uh, it's it's very true, and I I believe we can give it some more more attention, and and the technologies well, let's use them wisely. Mm. And I think yeah, what you said about the immersion in nature, I think when I when I left the city and moved out to the countryside, I mean it was it was really um, an impromptu decision because of the pandemic and the lockdown and I thought to myself I, I just had a sense at the beginning you know a year ago I thought this isn't going to be over quickly I think this is going to be a big change for for all of us for for a very long long time um, and I just was thinking about my mental health and how it would it just instinctively felt that I wanted to be somewhere where there was more nature and that feeling of freedom and space and and it just really got me thinking about the way that we live our lives um and how we've maybe lost touch of what we need as human beings to really thrive and live a healthy life um, in terms of your mind and your body um and I guess what's so good about meditation and mindfulness is that no matter where you are, no matter where you live, you can bring some of that into your life. You know, you don't have to escape the city and move to the countryside. There are small things that you can do to improve the health of your of your mind. And um, what do you want to give a little summary? I know you can't go into all the research that you've done because you've done a lot, but from your kind of key findings from the research, how would you say that meditation improves the health of our of our brains and improves our lives so what i see as a medical doctor a neurologist uh, of course a lot of people come because they they maybe have uh, chronic headaches or chronic pain wherever or they can't sleep they feel anxious they suffer from depression, burnout, and so on. So uh, basically, the, 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 I can't think of a symptom uh, that is not uh, worsened by stress. So, so chronic stress is not good for your mind, brain, body, immune system. So um, by training, I, you know, I would prescribe uh, anxiolytics, uh, you know, drugs that calm you down. And, and again, there's a lot of other things you can do and maybe we, we should do. And now we know that our brain is plastic, it, it changes. And so that gives us a more active role, uh, also some responsibility. And, and through the study of these um, Buddhist monks and other experts in meditation, for me as a scientist, it was wonderful to see how it really changes the structure of your brain, mm -hmm. your gray matter, but also the connections in the brain and, and how it functions. Um, and also at uh, the level of your, your uh, uh, chromosome. So in the book, there's this drawing where you see these little um, protection caps, they're called telomeres. And when you have chronic stress, they become smaller and you become more vulnerable to diseases and meditation, it has been shown repeatedly, can have a positive influence. So it's, it's incredible how even, not just in the brain, the body, uh, stress, uh, 
hormones uh, also in your DNA. You can see uh, effects. And, and so it's not something magical. It doesn't, you know, it's no vaccine for uh, all diseases or whatever, but, but it's definitely something that has an added value and, and that um, I think deserves more attention, both in my area, which is, which is medicine, but of course also more in the prevention. We, we all uh, sometimes uh, are facing challenges, tipping the balance, you know, work, life, how do we manage with the kids and the working partners. And um, so, so meditation is just one aspect because you of course also need to take care of your body, your sleep, what you eat, your social context and all of that together, I think can really make a difference and maybe tip the balance. <laughs> I like, I like how you're getting that in there. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, the, these two subjects work very well together, I think. But you were asking about, you know, what, what can science tell? And, and of course we studied these Buddhist monks because it's yeah. the extreme. They, they have like Mathieu Ricard, he's, uh, as my wife says, you know, it's it's quite easy for him to be a Zen master because, you know, he's not married, no kids, he doesn't need to go shopping and, um, and anyone can basically um, enjoy the benefits. And, and, and studies have shown that if you and I, we would start um, mindfulness-based stress reduction, for example, which mm -hmm. is this eight-week program that I also prescribe in, in the outpatient clinic, you would also see with these brain scans structural changes. And, and I think that's, that's worth telling. So, so um, it's this personal journey, which mm -hmm. is it's taking a little bit more effort, of course. Um, and, and that's the only thing you need. It's just mm -hmm. the motivation uh, and the curiosity. Yeah, I think that is something that I have learned um, certainly, you know, since the birth of my, my second daughter, I found that my mental health was not as good as it used to be. And, and I had some cognitive behavioral therapy and what I think it really impressed upon me was this, the concept of discipline and how you, you do have the, and you mentioned it as well, you know, there's a responsibility that you have, but you also have the opportunity and it is within your power to make changes in, in your life to improve your mental health and, and physical health. So, and sometimes I see that as, as a doula, when you're supporting people, it's, it's difficult sometimes for people to say that they can take responsibility for their own health, because I think um, as a society, we kind of view doctors sometimes or the medical profession as kind of godlike beings and gurus who who know everything. But you mention it a few times in your book about, you know, not just taking what some expert says as as the golden truth and actually thinking critically for yourself and asking questions and, you know, reaching your own conclusion, which really resonated with me because I really, I really believe in that as well. You know, this possibility of being able to take control over your, over your own health. And what you mentioned about prescribing 
mindfulness courses to your patients it's been in the the news in the uk recently um social prescribing um that's what we call it here uh, and doctors now are prescribing uh, for patients to take up paddle boarding and to go out into the sea and and or yeah or to walk in nature this this yeah idea of social prescribing and um i like what you said about the what I would term kind of holistic, a holistic approach to your, your diet and your exercise and all elements of your life coming together to, to form a kind of clinical picture. Um, and I have, you're the second doctor that I've had on the show. And we, I talked a bit um, with, I had a psychiatrist um, that I interviewed a few weeks ago and I asked her about her experience at medical school and, you know, is, holistic care or even you know mindfulness and meditation those these kinds of things is that much of a feature in medical schools and and I just wonder you know given your position as a researcher and a clinical doctor do you do anything in medical schools to try and maybe change the curriculum or open the eyes you know these young impressionable doctors coming out to the into the world uh, i think it's a good opportunity maybe absolutely i i, I think there's room for improvement right uh, of course um i'm very very happy uh, that that we have these technologies and and you know the hospitals 24 7 uh, wonderful people, caregivers, um, doing a great job. And, and again, now with COVID, it, it's very, very important. Uh, sometimes I see, you're absolutely right, that we need this holistic approach. And um, I'm a neurologist. It, it's it's becoming a very, you know, hyper-specialized uh, job. I'm taking care of people with, with severe brain damage, comatose, so looking at consciousness, but from a very different angle. Um, and, and, and while doing that, we should, of course, not um, forget about, you know, the, 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 the whole picture and, and um, the, 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 the um, emotional needs of patients, families. So, so that's a challenge. And sometimes it's a little bit too much black, white, uh, there's alternative medicine, and then there's classical medicine. And for me, there's just one medicine, and that's the one that cares uh, and, and, and helps uh, people. So, so combining um, these, these approaches, and of course, when you have a medical problem, go see your doctor. That's very, very important. But also maybe don't wait till there's a problem. Many of the patients I see, they tell me, well, it's such a pity. I, I, I only discovered meditation after my whatever, uh, tension, headache, or um, medical problem. And, and so again, yes, this is something that each and every one of us, through you know, reading the book, or there's wonderful things on the internet, and we mentioned already um, the courses, mindfulness-based stress reduction, the apps in the book, I mm -hmm. um, give a little summary. There's many, many wonderful things you can find on your smartphone and then use your screen um, more <laughs> wisely. And, and uh, it's, it's, again, very much dependent uh, on one person for, versus the other. Um, but you're absolutely right that uh, we, we cannot just look at a pathology in terms of this organ. Or, um, and so the power of the mind, you're, you mentioned it before, is, it's, it's, it's definitely 
complex, but it's also real. Mm-hmm. Um, in our hospital, for example, we have a long tradition. Uh, and before meditation, we, we studied hypnosis. So medical hypnosis, we have, uh, because you were talking about giving birth. And mm-hmm. um, of course, I, I don't know from experience, but uh, <laughs> um, my wife uh, also gave birth without any painkillers or uh, which was very very impressive and and so uh, we both took this course in in hypnosis and we have in our hospital here more than 10,000 patients who had surgery so taking away the turret or or mm-hmm. the breast tumor um, you know anywhere on the planet you would have general anesthesia and here the patient is just thinking about uh, uh, a holiday, you know, he's absorbed in her or his thoughts and dissociated and permits the, the, the surgeon to do his, his thing. And then with brain scans, we actually showed and published uh, what's happening in these consciousness supporting networks. And actually, this became a big project where we compare medical hypnosis with the different uh, meditation and mindfulness exercises. So the mm. power of the mind is is definitely complex but also very real and maybe we should um, use it more uh, Mm. not only within uh, medicine absolutely I think you just made an extremely compelling case for anybody who may be uh, slightly skeptical and I know you admit to being a skeptic um, before so I think I think that is uh, a challenge you know people are inherently skeptical about hypnosis or meditation because they what over here, quite commonly, people would say, oh, it's it's woo-woo. That's a phrase they would use um, to describe those sorts of complementary therapies. But I think that, I mean, particularly for women, um, there is a big kind of flocking to what well, we'd call it, you know, the wellness industry. And um, maybe because they feel, a lot of women, I think, feel that they're not heard they're not listened to they may go to their gp and complain of some pain or an ailment and they're they're readily dismissed and not they're not taken seriously so i think there are lots and lots of people who do try to take control you know of their of their own health um and hopefully um responsibly i know you know as you say you can come across some you know irresponsible practices and some things that you know may be potentially damaging but um hopefully you know that trend to kind of take control is is a is a growing one and maybe if they take control in the form of meditation then then that would be <laughs> definitely a, a win a win-win um you mentioned there you started kind of branching into some of the other work that you do which is completely fascinating and just hearing that you are able to now assess this kind of consciousness of somebody who is in a comatose state it's something that I had never heard of before or been aware of could I know um, it's not exactly to do with the book but it's just completely fascinating could you give a little overview of of what you do in that field Yes, uh, with the team. So I founded the Coma Science Group where basically we have, it's about 30 people, half are clinicians seeing patients with severe traumatic brain injury or bleedings or 
they survive a cardiac arrest or resuscitated, but with very severe brain damage where um, we use all these machines, brain scans and the engineers and informaticians and, you know, very smart guys to um, look at these data and, and um, yeah, reduce the uncertainty about their diagnosis. Is there consciousness, which again, we saw too much black, white, there is, there is not, you know, no, it's uh, much more complicated. You can be more or less conscious, uh, and, and what's the prognosis and what can we do? Also, we developed a number of new therapies. Um, but while doing that, of course, you're uh, looking at one of the biggest mysteries for science and that is human consciousness. And, mm -hmm. and that's why um, we also have a, a lab looking at, um, as we mentioned, uh, anesthesia and you know, giving healthy volunteers psychedelics uh, in these brain scans. But then there's also um, dreamlike states. We mentioned hypnosis, meditation, but also now um, shamanic trance. So, you know, from these Mongolian traditions, uh, again, very, uh, what did you say? Uh, woo, woo, woo. woo. <laughs> uh, for my, many of my colleagues. Uh, but so fascinating because, you know, we have uh, human consciousness. And, and so I think these, these, Subjects were kind of taboo when I started in the 90s. Uh, also, the study of near-death experiences, mm. fascinating. Mm. Um, so that's that's where we go with the team. Um, and it's, it's kind of strange that meditation, um, at least f for me, uh, it took such a long time. Uh, and, and now I'm so happy that I have these, these wonderful discussions with well, Buddhist monks, but also within the Christian tradition, basically every religion has their own um, traditions and, and they're really athletes of the mind. So, so listening to them and, and thinking together how we can together um, reduce our ignorance, because that's mm. really what it is uh, when we talk about uh, understanding human consciousness. It's been a fascinating uh, journey. Mm. So very, very grateful. And the amount of time that you have spent with these, you know, Zen masters and the, the Buddhist monks, what would you say your biggest, I mean, because you've, you've developed a strong relationship there. I mean, do, what's your biggest learning from, from being, uh, spending so much time with, with these types of people, the athletes of, of the mind? Well, um, so scientifically speaking, it's it's really the power of the mind. I, I I think it's it's just impressive to see when they're in our machines and how they can control the thoughts and perceptions and emotions. So so that's really really fascinating. And and you know, um, as a human being, uh, uh, of course it 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 was and it still is wonderful to 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 benefit and, and and you know i will never be a, a a zen master or buddhist monk but uh there are some things that are definitely um good for for anyone you know when you're confronted with with challenges professionally and private life um to 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 learn to let go to you know definitely for me as a control freak um makes you a bit more humble and and uh it's 
it's a, a number of wonderful friendships also. And now I'm, uh, thanks to Mathieu Ricard, um, also part of Mind and Life, which is this um, initiative, Mind Life Europe, then for me, where you have these um, experts from contemplative um, practices coming together with, with uh, brain scientists and, and just discussing. And that kind of dialogue, that kind of openness from both sites is what we need, uh, which is a challenge because when I discuss with the Dalai Lama or with um, experts like Mathieu, uh, I don't know what they're talking about, right? When these deep meditative states or um, even in the book, there's an interview with David Lynch. He's very much yeah. into another form of meditation with mantra meditation. So, so that, that's the challenge. Uh, sometimes, um, you know, I just need to, to just shut up and listen and, and then try to use these objective measures and, and, and bridge. Uh, and, and that's the whole field of neurophenomenology, which is something maybe we neglected. So we listening to what's happening um, between our ears, the mind, and in the end, you, you need to, to have that, that person telling you what is the experience. So there, I also learned, and you know, we, we all know Descartes, uh, uh, cogito ergo sum, I, I think, therefore I am, and, and I've been a thinking machine. And uh, now I know there is more than just thinking, there's also the experience. And without experience, you're limited. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really really powerful. Um, and yeah, what what a great opportunity to have spent all that time, you know, with these, you know, get to meeting the Dalai Lama and working with uh, Mathieu and everything. It's just, yeah, really really inspiring. Um, and I noticed just over in the corner above the shelves there, you have some. Uh, is that for the EEG machine or the, there's a cap there for? Looks like a swimming cap, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it it's not for swimming. Indeed, it's it's uh, one of these brain computer interfaces. And tomorrow, I'll give a a lecture on how to use these technologies, so measuring electrical activity to communicate with some of the coma survivors. Mm. Um, thanks to, of course, the new hardware, but also the way we we can decode these signals and. Um, that's what we do. That's that's the strength of the team here, to uh, yeah use all these machines and then try to say something meaningful about really this big big mystery that is that is human consciousness. Where mm -hmm. I, I don't think we should be too arrogant. We we don't know if it's been 25 years of my life that I dedicated to the problem of of consciousness and well with all these other labs worldwide did we maybe understood 50% after all that research or 5% or 0.005%. Or mm. we, we just don't know what we don't know. So it makes you a little bit humble and just, um, yeah, uh, appreciate and be uh, um, yeah, the, the, the wonder of it all. When, when you mentioned uh, that, that you worked with, with uh, pregnant uh, women and, and deliveries, and you can look at it from, from you know, the medical point of view and what we think we understand, but it's, it's just a miracle life, isn't it? And, yeah. and, and the yeah. same 
for for consciousness so uh, yeah. when we now look at at the sky uh, the stars with 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 my my kids it's 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 not just about you know our knowledge in physics is it it's also about whoa uh, what what are we uh, in mm. this in this marvelous universe so so that's that's again tipping the balance between yeah. <laughs> knowing and feeling and being a scientist and yet also uh, a human uh, being yeah. um not being too arrogant there yeah well thank you thank you so much Stephen it's it's really been such a pleasure talking to you and um yeah I think there's no better way I think to sum up <laughs> the our, our, our conversation than that I think when I go outside tonight to let the dog out for her wee before bed I will look up at the stars and I will think who am I in this huge universe and how amazing is that? <laughs> and enjoy it. Thank I you will. so much, Katie. Thank you. And thank you so much for, for the book. And um, yeah, I, I've really, really enjoyed reading it. So thank you. Very kind. It was a pleasure. Yeah, it's so really keep, nice. Keep the balance. <laughs> I will try. I will try. I know you're gay.